Hi everybody, welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. Baltimore, are you ready? Opening day is finally here. We can finally get the sour taste of the last five months from the 2018 season out of our mouths. Just long enough to possibly put it right back in there. The Orioles start the season in, the, in New York facing the New York Yankees as Andrew Kashner takes on Masahiro Tanaka in the season opening game. Uh, Kashner last year went 4-15, and who didn't, with a 5.29 ERA in 28 starts, whereas Tanaka went 12-6 and with a 3.75 ERA in 27 starts. Following them to the mound in Game 2 will be Nate Carnes, who is going to be opening the game, uh, probably pitch an inning or two, and then turn it over to the bullpen. Uh, he'll be facing James Paxton. And then in Game 3, you're going to have Dylan Bundy facing off against Jay Happ. Bundy looking to put the 2018 campaign behind him that's all in post a 545 ERA while giving up a major league leading 41 home runs. Now it's going to be tough right out of the gates for the Orioles in 2019, just like it was last year. In their first 31 games, the Orioles played 17 games against New the New York Yankees, the Red Sox, the Oakland Athletics, and the Tampa Bay Rays, all teams of, of who won 90-plus games last year. And then they also have another six games against a completely reloaded twin squad that's expected to challenge for the American League Central Division title. So tough sledding right out of the gates for the Orioles. Hopefully it won't be too ugly. Uh, for the series against the Yankees, the Orioles are catching a little bit of a break. They have a ton of players the Yankees do on their injured list right now, uh, namely uh, CC Sabathia, Luis Severino, Jacoby Ellsbury, Aaron Hicks, Dylan Batances, and Jordan Montgomery. With that being said, there's not really much of a reprieve for the Orioles in that sense because they still have a murderous lineup that's going fe to feature the likes of Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Giancarlo Stanton and T Troy Tulowitzki if he's looking to have a bounce back year. So the Orioles aren't getting too much of a break, but better than facing this team in the middle of July. So uh, for the Orioles, they have a surprising 25-man roster heading north with them this year. Now, everybody, raise your hands if you had... Pedro Severino, Hanser Alberto, Dwight Smith Jr., uh, and John Means making the 25-man roster. Now put your hands down because you're lying. Nobody had those guys, especially Hanser Alberto, who was designated for assignment by the Rangers in November, picked up by the Yankees, designated for assignment by them in January, picked up by the Orioles, who then designated for him for assignment in February, who, and he was then picked up by the San Francisco Giants, who, guess what? They designated him for assignment in February also, and the Orioles picked him back up a week later. Somehow, this guy has made the Orioles opening day roster. I guess that's what happens when you're a rebuilding club that lost a historic amount of games the year before. Uh, with that in mind, some of the guys that we're surprised to see on the roster, Dwight Smith Jr., he had a big spring for the Orioles. He came over, he only played 12 games for them, but he hit 325, tied for the team lead with five home runs, and drove in 12 runs in those 12 games. Uh, Smith is a former supplemental first-round pick out of, a, out of a high school in 2011. Uh, he's hit 293 in 47 major league games, so some success in a small sample size. In his minor league career, he's a 268 hitter with a 344 on base percentage. The important thing to realize about Smith is that he makes good contact. He's had four minor league seasons with over 400 plate appearances, and he's never struck out more than 91 times. So this is a guy that's going to be able to put the ball in play. And, you know, when you put the ball in play, it's better than striking out because anything can happen if you put the bat on the ball. So that's going to be better for a young team that's looking to try and win as many games as they can. <clears throat> 
for the catchers, everybody expected that it would be Chance Cisco and Austin Wins. Austin Wins was, was limited to 13 plate appearances this spring because he strained his oblique in spring training. And Cisco, uh, we mentioned in shows past, he hit 429 last year in spring training. Well, this year he hit 382. So we all know he had trouble at the plate last year, trouble defensively. Slumps on both the defensive and offensive side of the ball has really impacted his season. Uh, he only hit 181 last year. So with that in mind, Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde said that they don't really care about the spring training results. They sent him down with, another, with a number of other Orioles prospects in the hopes that they can continue their success from the, from the spring into the minor leagues and get called up sooner than later so that when they do get called up, they're here to stay. So having said that, Instead of it being Wins and Cisco, we're looking at Pedro Severino, who was just claimed from the Nationals on Sunday uh, as uh, either your starting or backup catcher. He's just 25 years old, and he was once considered the Nationals' catcher of the future. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't hit well enough at either level to warrant staying on the team, although he's never played until last year. He had never played more than 17 games in the season, but Severino did play 70 games last year for the Nationals. He's a career 187 hitter at the major league level, um, but it's his glove and his arm that's having him come north with Baltimore. 997 career fielding percentage, and he's thrown out 36% of attempted base dealers in his career. So that's what the Orioles are really kind of looking for with their team. They're going to be very defensive-minded this year since the offense is probably going to struggle a little bit, want that defense to really help out the pitchers. Uh, and that's also the case with Jesus Sucre. Again, not much of a hitter, 223 career hitter at the major league level, um, but he's a great pitch framer, so he's going to help those guys find the strike zone a little bit more than they would otherwise. Um, he's a catch-and-throw guy, uh, very much like Severino, 996 fielding percentage, and he's thrown out 32% of career attempted base stealers. So the Orioles have two defensive-minded catchers. Uh, again, the 25-man roster is a very fluid thing. Um, I expect to see Cisco up at the major league level at some point. I expect to see Austin wins once he's healthy and available to be back at the major league level at some point. So these guys are here for now, but nothing's etched in stone. Um, Another guy that's coming north with the club that people may not have expected, John Means. He's been uh, kind of a lifer in the minor league so far. He's pitched five years at the minor league level and only got his first call for one game last year. He pitched three and a third innings with five runs allowed for the Orioles in limited action. Um, Means, he'll be 26 uh, on April 24th. He's a left-handed pitcher. He has a career 3.83 ERA at the minor league level with 35 wins. So, Pretty successful for the Orioles, but just hasn't warranted a call for one reason or another. Uh, he has a two walks per nine innings ratio and a 7.2 Ks per nine innings ratio. So not a big strikeout pitcher, but seems to have good control and a, a good grasp of the strike zone. Uh, didn't pitch very well, in my opinion, in, the, in uh, spring training this year. 506 ERA, which to me leaves a lot to be desired. But the Orioles have better talent evaluators than, than myself. So if they saw something in them that warrants him being on the roster, you know, it's a good guy to have because right now the Orioles only have four guys penciled into that rotation, and they're all right-handed. So as a left-handed reliever, he can be a long reliever, he can be a swing man, and he can really provide a uh, lot of length out of a bullpen and spell that rotation for those four right-handed pitchers. So with that in mind, talking about the opening day roster and you know, what we can really expect from the Orioles this year, I'd like to bring in our guest for today, and that's going to be Scott Magnus from Bird's Eye View. Hey, Scott, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing great. Looking forward to the beginning of the uh, Orioles 2019 season. 
Yeah, I think we all are. We'll see how long that enthusiasm lasts, though, with this team. So um, we were just talking about some of the surprises on the opening day roster. What's your take on the roster and some of the guys that we probably didn't expect to be on the team heading north? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you look at the various amount of cuts the Orioles made. I know that there was a lot of, you know, critical outcry on Twitter, specifically about uh, folks pushing down, such as Chan Sisko. But even Austin Hayes being cut a few weeks ago, I think, kind of wrangled a few people the wrong way. You know, coming into spring training, there was this kind of mentality being put out by the, the front office of saying, you know, we're going to have an open competition and, you know, whoever is able to support and produce is going to get brought up. But ultimately, you look at the opening day roster and it's a, a, a various who's who of who are these guys. I mean, Hanzo Alberto making the roster and then the whole situation with, um, you know, Severino and uh, even, you know, Sucre. Um, making plays instead of Cisco and or wins is, you know, a, a little surprising. Um, but but ultimately, it's it's one of these situations where uh, it, it, it's not that significant of a deal. Um, I mean, ultimately, this team is going to be, you know, not that great. So it doesn't really matter who breaks camp with this team in April. What matters is at the end of the season, who is going to be going for, forward for the Orioles in 2020 and 2021. Right, and it's a very fluid roster. Who we see on opening day isn't who we're going to see in June, in August, or at the end of the season, for that matter. So right now, you shouldn't put a lot of stock into who's on the roster. Still some surprising moves, though. Uh, with that in mind, um, there's been a lot of you know upheaval on Twitter, on social media over the last 12 to 24 hours, because Rockabaco, who does great work over there for MassInSports.com, he wrote an article last night where he quoted Mike Elias um, as possibly throwing shade at the old regime. I have a quote here for you uh, from Elias in that article, and it says, We're doing things the right way, the way they need to be done. The end goal here is not to cobble together a one-year wonder, 500 club that could be a disaster if it doesn't work right, and we spent a few years digging out of that hole. We want to put together a perennial contending organization, and we're initiating that process. A lot of people think that that's kind of throwing shade at Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. What's your opinion on that quote? How do, how do you see how he meant that? I mean, is he wrong? I mean, we talked about this for years upon years, and there was this rallying cry of baseball prospectus doesn't know what they're talking about in terms of Pakoda because the Orioles were always predicted to be this, this 70-win team. And, you know, they certainly always outperform that. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is due to the roster flexibility with them being able to – bring players up and option players down and really kind of preserve that aspect of not having a bunch of players on their roster that were negative war. But, you know, Elias is exactly right. It's a situation where, you know, we are in an age of super teams, as it were, you know, there's no point to go out there and basically put a team out there that is going to be flirting with 500 under the hopes and guise of, well, maybe if everything breaks perfectly well, maybe you get a secondary wild card because, Honestly, that's not the way you're playing the game anymore. The game is being played of you stack your chips up as much as possible. Um, you go all in just like the Padres currently are doing. Um, you have a, you know, a brief time of relative success, which was the Orioles chance in 2012, 2016. And at that point, it's basically if you're a middle to low market team, it's time to start again from a new um, and, and basically go through a rebuild. I mean, this is what people do. This is what the Cubs did. This is what the Astros did. Um, you know, I have no issues with what Elias said. And the matter of the fact is, it's the same kind of critique that we made against the 2018 Orioles of why are we going all in um, when, you know, 
people should have been traded earlier on in that season or even during 2017 in order to get ready for the rebuild earlier rather than later. You know, the, everything you said is right on. And it brings to mind a quote that somebody told me once, and that is that intelligence is the ability to delay gratification. And it seems like that's what the Orioles are doing right now. They're sacrificing short-term results for long-term success. And I think that that really is the recipe for winning for the ball club. Uh, speaking of winning, it doesn't seem as though they're going to be doing much of that for the coming years. So in your mind, what are you looking forward to this season, or what are you looking for this season since we can't really look too much towards wins and losses? Yeah, so what I'm looking for is I'm looking specifically from, again, that more sabermetric approach. I'm looking to see um, which pitchers go out there and change their kind of pitch delivery. I'm looking for arm angle adjustments. I'm looking for modifications in terms of spin rate for certain pitchers. I'm looking for pitch usage differential. I'll be interested to see how Dylan Bundy kind of goes back and works with some of his more off-speed slash slider slash curves um, and, and kind of determining how they're actually approaching their kind of pitch arsenals. That's what I'm really looking for. I'm also looking for their ability to say, hey, we've got these Rule 5 picks specifically in uh, Drew Jackson and Rio Ruiz um, and Richie Martin. And I, I'm looking at that and saying, hey, you know, are these guys going to, in essence, be greater than, you know, the Rule 5 that they actually are? Are they going to actually be able to serve as a utility player or could they actually be a starting shortstop? And, you know, I think that's going to be a big question going into this season of, if we don't see something from a Drew Jackson or a Richie Martin at the very first half of the season, then I think the Orioles are going to have to sit back and say, you know what, we're going to have to go out and draft a shortstop in this upcoming draft. If they do see something out of Richie Martin and they say, hey, this guy can actually hit and he actually may be worthwhile being a you know original first-round draft pick, 20th pick by the Oakland A's, um, maybe they say we don't need to go out and get a shortstop for this, this farm system. But you know, as Manny continued to progress and get closer and closer to that point of leaving the organization, the Orioles never did a great job in terms of refreshing the infield prospects. That's why we're left with a lack of talent, as it were, within the infield, whether it be a third base shortstop and or second base. So then with your emphasis on the infield and, you know, or the lack thereof in the organization, uh, with the draft coming up and the Orioles having the first overall pick in the draft, the first time since 1989 when they took Ben McDonald, do you see them leaning more towards a high school shortstop like Bobby Witt Jr., who up until you know the College World Series last year, everybody had pegged as being the number one overall pick this year? Or do you see them going with Adley Rutschman, who is probably pretty close to Major League ready and was arguably the best player in college baseball last year and is showing it again this year? Yeah, I mean, I ultimately don't think it matters. I think you look at the, you know, the catching depth that the Orioles have currently, and then you look at the infield, and Ultimately, I think it's just a matter of who within the organization, you know, feels like they can do a tweak to that individual in order to turn them into, again, an all-star caliber like player. So I know people are concerned about the aspect of Chancisco being demoted to AAA. You know, I, I'm of the opinion, like others are uh, within the Orioles social media, Chancisco doesn't strike me as a catcher. Um, he doesn't have, you know, the personality, the merits. And again, I'm not sure if the bat or the plate discipline is going to play too. You know, I, I think ultimately, um, you know, Chancisco is at best maybe maybe a second baseman, maybe a left fielder. But, uh, you know, the Orioles need to go out and get depth regardless. So I basically say, you know, go out and scout them for the next few months, but ultimately just go out and figure out who you think has the greatest upside and just go with them. Ultimately, I don't really care if it's a college player. It's not like you're going to be successful in the next, you know, three to five years. Um, you could perfectly be successful with going out and getting a high school player and bringing them up in three to five years. Okay. All right. 
So last, um, last thing that we're going to talk about as far as the Orioles and the um, American League East, what are your American League East predictions this year? And I don't, I don't need you to give me records, but how do you think the standings are going to go this year? Yeah, so um, I, I had the Red Sox again leading the division. I had the Yankees trailing slightly behind once again. Uh, then I have the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and then I had the Blue Jays. Then, of course, I've got the Baltimore Orioles at the bottom of the pack, um, scraping by with probably around 60 wins. Okay. I think that, you know, three, four, and five is pretty unanimous in the uh, in the standings. However, I have the Yankees winning the division. You have the Red Sox. What makes you uh, put the Red Sox over the top, aside from the fact that, you know, they're the defending World Series champions and they won 108 games last year? Yeah, so um, I think I can sum this up with uh, one reason. Um, I believe it's, his name is Mookie Betts. He's a pretty decent player. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Mookie Betts as my reason why I think the Red Sox are going to win the, the division. You know, that's a, that's a fair assessment, fair assessment. <laughs> so, all right, Scott, you seem to uh, fancy yourself a bit of a saber, sabermetrician, and one of the segments that we do from time to time on this show is the nerd style of the week, no offense intended. Um, and this week, we're going to go with war. And the reason that we're going to go with war or wins above replacement is because it seems to be the most prominent uh, sabermetric that people seem to talk about. Uh, when you hear about Mike Trout and that record contract that he just got, you hear guys like Brian Kenny bring up the fact that uh, he has, I believe, 62.4 wins above replacement in his career, and he's a three-time 10-win player, uh, and he's only 26 years old. So can you explain to myself and our listeners what exactly war is and how you calculate that? Sure. So, I mean, there's been this whole aspect of um, kind of pushing down the notion of war and how we value players. But you mentioned Brian Kenny, who is, again, a noted saber nutrition. But, again, even if you watch the Masson broadcast, even Jim Palmer will bring up the aspect of war and sabermetrics aspects. So war has become kind of a, a common nomenclature within the game now. And basically war is kind of measuring a player's values in all facets of the game. Uh, and deciphering how many more wins he is worth it uh, compared to a replacement level player at his same position. And typically that replacement player would be like a minor league replacement and or a Baltimore Oriole um, <laughs> or a readily available fill in free agent. So, you know, generally the way it's broken down is um, we do things on runs. And, so, you know, the way people win games is, hey, they score runs. Um, so, you know, generally we look at the aspect of how many more runs um, better is this player compared to a replacement? So for a position player, we look at his batting, his base running, his fielding, and then we would adjust it on the basis of his position, the league that he's playing in, and then accordingly, how good is the rest of the league, as it were. So if you, know, if you go back and take a look at some war and some runs that were scored uh, during the steroid era, that again is all balanced out accordingly at that time uh, on that same basis. Um, and then again, for pitchers, it depends on whether or not you want to look at it um, in a vacuum where a pitcher is independently being metric, using as metrics such as uh, FIP or fielding independent pitching, or just runs allowed per nine, um, and then you know makes you basically make the determination of that. But again, this gets into the category of allowing a player to be judged not just on the basis of well he hits a lot of home runs or he has a lot of RBIs, but actually taking a look at the whole basis of his kind of performance. And again, this has come back and people have you know belayed or basically taken down certain players like DHs or first basemen because again they don't offer a significant benefit from a defensive production standpoint. And why a player like Mike Trout, who may have similar offensive numbers to other players out in the league, such as like a J.D. Martinez, um, again, Mike Trout is oftentimes being put at a higher war level due to the great defense that he puts out there on the field every single day. I think we can all remember back as Orioles fans, 
that great play that is continually promoted by MLB baseball, where Mike Trout robs J.J. Hardy's home run um, over the wall at Camden Yards. And that just kind of displays the kind of talent that Mike Trout puts out there on a day-in and day-out basis. Yeah, really, really great stuff, man. It seems like it really gives fans a more interactive way to look at the game rather than just home runs and RBIs because anybody can spout off you know, those two statistics and make their argument. But when you go with wins above replacement, it seems like that really makes it seem – it really proves how much better a player is than his peers. So, Scott, really great stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Everything you said was fantastic. Uh, and we're looking forward to having you on again in the near future. Uh, have a great day, man. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. All right, so that's going to do it for me on the payoff pitch today. Again, special thanks to my guest, Scott Magnus, for coming on from Bird's Eye View. Learned a lot about uh, sabermetrics, specifically war, and what he's looking for, which is something I wasn't expecting to say about our mangles and other players, um, how they adjust to the new analytics and sabermetrics with the game. Uh, having said that, it's opening day, so everybody enjoy the game between the Orioles and the Yankees. Really looking forward to seeing the season start. And uh, again, don't worry about wins and losses. Just watch the game for the game of baseball and have fun with it. going to be a long season otherwise. Uh, once again, this is a payoff pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Phantom Radio, and I'm Paul Valley.